Hello everyone, I'm Harvey Brownstone and today I'm pleased to welcome three young people who burst on the music scene in 2017 with their debut album Control Freak, which had three singles that spent nine months on the alternative radio charts in Canada. Their new album Daytona Bleach includes their mega hit Really Wanna Let You Down, which led to this band making history as the only independent self-managed band to hit number two on the media-based Canada alternative rock chart. This album, which was only just released, has already accumulated over 1 million streams on Spotify and two top 10 singles at Alternative Rock Radio. I am delighted to welcome Sally Shar, Zach Zanardo, and Jordan Sircosta, better known as Mono Whales. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us, Harvey. We're excited to be here. Are you surprised that someone my age, and I am in my 60s, knows who you are and enjoys your music? My parents are our biggest fans, actually. <laughs> it's a popular demographic for us, right? We don't discriminate. We're happy for any age from <laughs> toddlers to elders to jam out to our music. Well, the thing about your music is that it's very melodic and the melodies stay in your head after the song is over, which to me is the sign of a hit song. Oh, sick. Good to Thank hear. Because we're much harder on ourselves about everything, so it's good to hear your perspective. Okay, let's get the easy question out of the way first. Where did the name Mono Whales come from? That's actually the hardest question. So hard. Because none of us really know. We don't really agree on it. That's kind of where we land. Uh, I believe that it came from a graffiti that used to be in the East End. This joke that was a whale with a monocle. And then it also, for me, played out to be this play on words about The Simpsons. So, like, monorail. Jordan will fight me to the death to that. But, like, yeah, we all have kind of have, like, different answers to this question. Okay, Jordan, what's your answer? Well, you said something that is part of my answer, which is the whale with the monocle. I think that's where it came from, too. I just don't think The Simpsons have anything to do with it. But the monorail was the... Um, yeah, the mural outside our rehearsal space. That had, Zach, uh, do you have an answer? I didn't even know about the mural till like three months after we picked that name. So I just thought it was a completely uh, crazy name and uh, it, we all agreed on it. That's all that mattered for me. I think it's really cool. How did the three of you meet? Uh, I met Sally in high school through a friend. Uh, I was playing in a band at the time and um, we would do bonfires after our shows and Sally would come to those. And yeah, we met at a bonfire and then went to college together where we met Zach. And how long did it take before you decided to form a band? Mm. Was it like one month after meeting me? Yeah, but I met you late. So Zach was in the kindest way, I can say it kind of a wallflower when we went to college in terms mm. of Jordan and I didn't see him or know who he was until another friend way down the line, like was it second or third year, uh, introduced us to Zach. But Zach was always around. And I think the main thing was after hearing him play guitar, at least I instantly knew that I'm like, oh, this is someone that like, I love what they do. I, I, I connected with it right away. And speak for yourself, Zach, but I think you felt the same way because we had a drug. Yeah, no, I was like, oh, dang, like, I would like to be in a band with Sally. We didn't know each other. After we met, we didn't even talk on the bus. I just said hi when I ran into her and that's it. But we wanted to be in a band together. Yeah. And then we kind of had a drunken night at 
Rancho Relaxo, which yeah. doesn't exist anymore. It's a, a, a little bar in Toronto that had shows. And I remember it's one of the only times we really got drunk because, to be honest, we don't get smashed very often. Uh, but this was one night where I guess we had to to get this out, the confidence that either Zach or I blurted out, like, I really want to be in a band with you. We're like, oh, I really want to be in a band with you. So it kind of worked out that way. And then Jordan, in my mind, was always going to be a part of the project in some way because he was a really good friend of mine. He also had the jam space that... Um, <laughs> knowledge, like, he was doing this for years. So... He was a, a very much a guider in all of this. And the funniest thing is Jordan was in so many bands at the time, um, unlike me or Zach. Yeah, I wasn't I, in any uh, bands. And so I remember specifically Jordan being like, this isn't going to be my full-time gig, guys. I'll help, but I'm going to be too busy to do this specific band. And I think <laughs> it's like, it says a lot, a testament to this band that he's in no other bands but this one now. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was destiny. Sally, you're the, the lead vocalist. When I listen to you, I'm reminded of a young Gwen Stefani, and I also detect a bit of Blondie in your vocals. Who were your musical influences? Yeah, growing up, there's a lot of different things. Like, I started by listening to a lot of my parents' CDs. So, truly, it was pop music. Celine Dion turned into pop like Britney Spears, Spice Girls, and that graduated to Avril Lavigne, which was more rock. And that graduated to like alternative rock, which is where I really felt, you know, your teenage years where you're getting it all out. So for me, I grew up a lot on like System of a Down, Corn, White Stripes, uh, Regina Spector became the next step like of indie music. So it wasn't until later, honestly, that I got into more classic rock, like later in, in my life, in my 20s that I listened to uh, well, except for Beatles. Beatles, I always, I listened to a lot, but it wasn't until later that I started listening to Blondie or Zeppelin or any of those people, um, funny enough. Zach, which artist inspired you when you were growing up? Um, a big one was Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, they were huge, actually, for me. I had, like, a fan site, and my email address was RHCP fan. Uh, yeah, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I also loved, like, Charlie Brown Christmas album. We had two copies at home, one just for my bedroom and one for the family room or whatever. But, like, I, I was always kind of eclectic, too. There was a lot of, like, random things I listened to. Like, there was an Aboriginal cassette tape my parents had called uh, A Rain Dance, and it was just, I, I guess, field recordings of uh, uh, Native Canadians, and I just used to really enjoy it. That and uh, this Beethoven CD I bought at Loblaws when I was seven. You have really eclectic tastes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very good foundation. Okay, Jordan, what about you? Who were your musical influences? Um, when I was growing up, the music that made a big impact on me was um, like Lorena McKennett and Nick Cave, Van Morrison, Tom Waits, stuff my dad was listening to and then when I was like kind of like 10 11 years old I established this like insane fandom for Queen I just loved everything Queen and I would watch <clears throat> they're like live at Wembley like all the time that concert DVD and then I went got way into 
like Indie Rock and like Neutral Milk Hotel and Arcade Fire when they were first coming out. Those were all really big for me. And then later on, things just got more and more eclectic. And now I just feel like I like a little bit of everything. These guys have exposed me to a lot of interesting music I wouldn't have found on my own. Okay, can I just tell all three of you, your parents raised you right. Your parents had great taste in music. I'm really impressed. <laughs> Honestly, my parents only listened to Arabic music or ABBA. So that's really nice of you to say. I'm gonna contribute all my music listening to my brother because he, he is the one that kind of, uh, my parents are gonna be so hurt by it. It's just the truth. <laughs> All of your songs are original material that you wrote. Do you write together as a group or individually on your own? We do a bit of both. Uh, like often it starts as individual work that kind of ends up being finished uh, as a group or like different combinations of the three of us at different times. So it's, it's, there's a little, you know, piece of everyone in this, but it, it, it's individual also, but very collaborative too. Like, uh, we all rely on each other. So it's cool. It's unique. It's not often like that too. Can you see yourselves at some point doing covers of other people's material or will you always do only originals? We, we perform do. covers at our shows. We just haven't recorded any to release yet, which might be happening soon. But so far, we've just kept it to live stuff give you something special when you come to the show. Right now, you're an independent band. You're not controlled by a record company and you call your own shots. Would you ever consider signing a record deal with a major label, even though you might lose some control? I think the deal would have to be good. <laughs> like we're, we're doing the best we can and we're feeling really confident about what we're able to do um, here in Canada and we're, we're, you know, it is like we're happy where we are, but if offers were to come that were really good, then we would sit down and look at them and talk about it then. You guys worked with award-winning producer Ryan Worsley in BC. What was that experience like? It was pretty fun. Yeah, it was a <laughs> good time. <laughs> yeah, we uh, came right off the road into those sessions and lived above his studio for a couple of weeks making that record. And it was, yeah, it was interesting. We had never done anything like that before. Did he bring out talent in you that you didn't know you had? Hmm. It was more like he took something that we had and put his own spin on it that made, that created something that was sort of like a unique collaboration between two creative forces. That's what it felt like for me, at least. Is it true that Ryan had a great deal of input into the finished product of He Said, She Said? Yes. It wasn't a finished product until we brought it to him. How did that happen? How did he take a song that you weren't really finished with and not that confident in and turn it into the song we hear now? Honestly, uh, it all happened really fast. He just thought the part that we did have was really catchy and uh, like we had to be fair, I guess we kind of did have a verse and a chorus. He kind of said, guys, no, this is awesome. No sweat here. And he just got the groove going. Once once we had a groove going that worked with the song, we were like, oh, okay, cool. This is, this is pretty sick. You know, when I heard he said, she said, it somehow made me think about the pandemic because of the message of the song that you're trapped in the same scenario over and over again. Uh, am I on another planet here? 
Yeah, it's funny because the song kind of took form that way, at least for me, because we wrote it a while ago and then starting to release it and really reconnect with these songs as they were coming out. I connected to that now. And that's the beauty of music and what it can do and how it can transform and and uh, time shift. So I do feel that way. Like that song represents to me like perpetual anxiety. <laughs> and I think if, if there's ever a time to feel that it was or still is, you know, during this time of uncertainty. Now, three songs from your Control Freak album were featured in the Netflix series Spinning Out, and you guys even made a cameo appearance on episode five of season one. Did you get a lot of feedback from that? Yeah. Um, so I think the song that got the most feel, uh, feedback was Real Love, because it was probably in the credits as well. But yeah, we got so much awesome feedback, um, especially uh, probably the most on our YouTube videos of people being like, I was on Spinning Out. And I love that like everyone's a community and they like each other's comments and they support each other from Spinning Out. So yeah, it was a really great opportunity for us. And the fact that we get to like be in something as ourselves with our own music, that's satisfying. Like, you know, that you don't have to pretend to be anyone else. You're yourself in a, in a show. So I think that's a, really special, a special moment we got to have. At one time, there were four members of Mono Wales, but Holly Jamison left the group. Is she going to be replaced or are you happy just staying as a threesome? So we are staying as a threesome. We do have a session player. At the moment, it's Gina Kennedy, um, who will be playing, you know, doing the background parts, singing and playing electric bass, which is a great addition to this band because we didn't have electric bass originally, but it is in our song. So um, it's great to have that addition. Holly is a wonderful person. There's no like ill will. We wish her best in her new journey towards um, academia and music therapy. But I think this is a really challenging and specific type of life and lifestyle. So if you wanna do this, you really have to know what you're getting yourself into. And so I think this threesome, we're a really strong trio that lift each other up and are ready for what's to come or what like you know the the craziness that has been and that's about to come we're ready and we're willing so that's what we're confident in each, each other for now here's a question i've been dying to ask you for a long time as i understand it your band is considered alternative rock i have never understood the difference between mainstream rock and alternative rock can somebody explain that to me i can't <laughs> alternative became mainstream like a million years ago <laughs> exactly so i i think it like yeah i don't i don't know it's pretty i think if something is like a bit more classically driven rock then it might be considered modern rock or ma or mainstream rock like something not always necessarily but if something has more like the style of guns and roses it, it those tiny things might push it into modern rock where alt rock is like lighter or like more different different aspects different genres injected to it rather than the purest form that's like the best definition i can find i'm sure it could be picked apart though yeah i think i think you're totally right like it has to do with where the artists are pulling their sort of foundational influences from but I think rock as a genre has splintered so much over the years and we're like so many decades into the evolution of rock that at this point, it's just like not even all that relevant to try to pin it down to one thing. So we just use these umbrella terms to kind of 
let people know it's not something else, but what it actually is can be a bunch of different things within that framework, which is kind of freeing and fun. Well, do you want to be classified as alternative rock? I mean, was that your choice? Because to me, your music is simply rock music. I mean, it's so subjective because some people come to us and they're like, your music is simply pop music. You know, it's, it's a funny thing. And I think to us, we actually don't let me speak for you guys. I don't care. I don't care. I do not care what anyone wants to call it. As long as they're happy and they're listening and they're loving it, they can put it wherever they want to. It's just that the industry seems to pigeonhole people. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, is it better for you commercially if you're classified as alternative rock? I would have thought that being considered part of the mainstream music scene would lead to greater success. But maybe I've got that wrong. I don't know. We haven't tried. I think it's like, for us, alt-rock radio in Canada supported us like crazy. Like, we were just welcomed into the fold with with that, which was really awesome. And then... I think things have sort of spilled out from there in terms of how people kind of classify us. But I think it's our job to try to push back against those classifications as best we can and be as, you know, widely available to everybody and all fans as, as we can be, because really we just want people to hear what we, what we do and enjoy it. As far as a marketing decision goes, I'm not really sure. It's something that like maybe in a different country, it should be classified differently. And in Canada, it's a particular thing. It's so hard to say. I think your focus on just making good music and expressing yourselves as artists will land in the right wheelhouse for everybody. That's how I see it. That's also. <laughs> I want to talk with you a bit about the new album, Daytona Bleach. Is it true that the title Daytona Bleach is a comment on the disparity between the glossy first impression of a Florida beach town and the decay and the griminess that's really just under the surface? Well, you've got this. You've <laughs> got it exactly, yeah. <laughs> I did my homework, Sally. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, pretty much, like, honestly, you said it more uh, elegantly than maybe I would be able to say it right now. So thank you for that one. I'll have to write it down. <laughs> well, here's my question. Is there some parallel between the statement you're making about those beachy towns and the duality of the music that you produce? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our music, like, you know, Sally even said it, it's pretty pop in a sense. And like that particular album is pretty shiny and sparkly. And, you know, there's catchy melodies and yada, yada, yada. But a lot of the songs, even the happiest of ones, also carry a lot of darkness, kind of. And that's kind of the duality that's always been, like, the soul of the band since day one is, like, I don't know. It's more than a duality. It's just a complex uh, connection of lots of different emotions that come out in a very unique way. And we try to, like, not pigeonhole that. We're kind of... You know, all of that and a bag of chips. <laughs> but you see, I think that's the key to your success, if I can be so bold, is that you start out as a listener getting hooked by the melody, the musicality of the song. And then you start listening to the lyrics because you're hearing the song more than once and the lyrics start resonating with you and you realize there's something profound there. You're making statements. I think that's a recipe that's going to take you far. Sweet. That sounds delicious. Thank you. 
You worked with two-time Grammy Award-winning producer Dave Schiffman. Tell us what that experience was like. We just got out of the studio not even a week ago, so uh, it's very fresh. We're very fresh to talk about this, um, but yeah, the experience was probably mostly annoying for him in terms of asking him so many questions like have you met you know well we know but like how is it working with the red hot chili peppers how is it working with sister down have you met this like the poor guy i feel like we were like you know and when, when a dad is on the road and you're like are we there yet are we there yet like that energy is what we brought to the studio to him but um you know what he's really he he's really good at bringing it back and it wasn't like we were annoying he was really professional and straightforward and I think we learned a lot from the advice that he he bring and, and his engineering skills and that he brought to the table I think are what is going to take this album to the next level in terms of like what we were able to capture and what he knows he wants to hear and where it's going to be but you guys could speak more to that I haven't even heard the finished product yet so that's the thing I think you pretty much withhold judgment it was it was a fun process that was like we had long we had a longer period of time to spend in the studio than we've ever had before. Every everything you've ever heard from us that's been released publicly so far has always been recorded in in kind of a rush. It was sort of like a mad dash towards like we got to get all this stuff in the bag because we're about to go out on the second leg of our tour like we did with Daytona Bleach or with Control Freak. It was very kind of scattered. Whereas this was the first time we got to say, we're going to go spend a month in the studio making a record and it's going to take as long as it takes and we're going to breathe and make sure everything gets its time. And I think that was like a really positive experience for us that, that bred a lot of creativity on this new record. I think the word on the street is that that excitement, enthusiasm, that freshness that Sally was talking about was a real shot in the arm to a veteran producer like that because you reminded him really why he's in the business in the first place. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, one of the really great things about your band is that you're very good on stage. Your live performances are really electric. You've done two live videos from the Elma Combo, Fake Friends and Out With The Old. Do you think you might do a full-length DVD concert at some point? I don't know if full-length DVD concerts is what people are dying for anymore in this world, as much as I used to love the Queen live at Wimbledon. Uh, <laughs> it's Wembley. Uh, we will be releasing them um, on a platform that you can watch, because I'd love for them to be accessible to everyone. So I think they will. you'll see more of it. Yeah. Well, I hope you eventually do a live album too. Is that something you might consider? I think that's in our cards one day. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I've never asked the guys. Do you think, what do you think? <laughs> I think it's going to happen no matter what. We've been, we try to record sets where we can and eventually one will be something we're happy enough about to put out to the world. Yeah. Do you have any idea when you will be performing live again? <laughs> You want to pre-order it, Harvey? Um, I think that, you know, it's obviously it's pending, especially here in Canada. The vaccines are taking much longer. So once things are rolling out <laughs> more smoothly, then I think shows will start to come back. And we do have some 
shows in the books right now is just still very uncertain. And we first and foremost care about the safety of everyone there. And so as much as you, like, I can't tell you that how much we're dying to, to get back on stage. That's what we live for. It's our lifeblood. More importantly, I want people to be okay. So I think, you know, it's that duality. From what I can tell, you've used your time during the pandemic very well. You, you were in the studio, you've done a lot of writing. A am I right? Yeah, we wrote a whole boatload of songs, just like this too, on the computer, not in the same room with each other. What Which was that like? What was that like? Uh, it was great. <laughs> we I wrote a lot of songs. Uh, Sally, you loved it. Why don't you talk about it? I mean, this is actually perfect. Like this was the setup. I, I want to be real with you. Like this is my demoing mic. Uh, and there's a bunch of books that it sits on. And <laughs> we all sit here on Zoom and there's different ways that we do it. But, you know, maybe Zach has, a, has an idea I brought in and then we'll just sit on here and mute ourselves and listen to it and send it to each other and like think about stuff and I love it because I think it really allows for breathing room in terms of like being in a room together is just a different energy. And it's not that the energy is better or worse, but in terms of doing it this way, I love that I can like mute myself, walk away, think about it, make a cup of tea and have that like silence or have them hear them in the background talking about it and that slowly inspiring the process rather than maybe being in a room and being like now looking at each other in the eyes which is like a different thing and it's great but it's just this different way of doing it that allows a lot of breathing room that I really love. Well, you guys have already won the Jim Beam Indies Award for Best Alternative Artists or Group of the Year and the Ontario Indie Recording Artist of the Year. Are you ready for all the Junos and Grammys coming your way? Lay Clear your face on my mantle as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and after you've won all those Grammys and you've made it big in the US and everywhere else, I hope you won't forget that it was your Canadian fans that got you started. Don't forget us. Never. Like, I'm so grateful to be here. Um, and I won't ever take that for granted. Well, Sally, Zach and Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. I'll be following your career with great interest. And I hope you'll come back on our show again with every new album because your Uncle Harvey is a big fan. Nice. <laughs> Anytime you'll have us, we'll be here. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, thank you, Harvey. Thanks for having thanks. us. It's really something special and it's a treat and we appreciate this. Thank you so much to our guests, Mono Whales. My name is Harvey Brownstone. Thanks to our producer, Steve Silver. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Be sure to check out more interviews by Harvey Brownstone on this podcast channel.